What's up, guys? This is Jacques. Welcome back to Unpopular. There is so much to talk about today, so many topics. I said on my last Patreon episode that I was going to get these episodes down to under 60 minutes, but I failed because there was just a lot to get into. So today we are talking about uh, Beverly Hills. I have a lot of thoughts on that. The Winter House trailer. Of course, the Salt Lake City premiere. Uh, The Australian Bachelorette who has been cancelled for racist Instagram posts. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel being a fucking dumbass. The latest with Joe Rogan, Ivan Mectongate. And Bachelor in Paradise, which some shit went down on Bachelor in Paradise. This season, it's as good as Beverly Hills. I know a lot of you are like, eh, don't watch The Bachelor. I put at the end so you don't have to listen if you don't want to but it's as good as Beverly Hills like it's off the chain so let's just get into it all right so Salt Lake City is back I'm kind of excited about it season one was awful I was the first person to really go against the uh fake news narrative from Bravo stands that Salt Lake City was like the second Sopranos it was not it sucked uh probably the most overhyped show ever but They really turned it around by the time they got to the reunion, and then I knew season two would be much better, and then when Jen Shah got arrested, I was like, okay, boom, this is going to be good. Uh, One of my proudest podcasting moments was going against Jen Shah while everyone else was still kissing her ass, (laughs) and then having her get arrested and waking up to like 100 DMs from you guys being like, oh my god, you were right about Jen Shah. I sound like such a petty narcissist. How sad is my life that clocking Jen Shah is like... A huge achievement for me. She's probably the most obvious sham of a person ever. Uh, Look, you've probably seen the intro for the episode by now. They released that last week, but they open the season with Jen finding out on camera that the feds are after her. She flees the scene, and then you see, like, I don't know, it's an FBI raid or something? Um, They, like, sweep the scene, and it cuts to Jen at the police station, and we see the other women talking about whether or not Meredith tipped off the feds. By the way, it's irrelevant if Meredith tipped them off or not because it was an investigation that was going on for years but anyway uh a very incredible iconic moment for reality television i think because it's not often that you can capture something like that on camera especially on the housewives because they do film for set hours like a you know like a fucking nine to five job it's not like the bachelor where you're locked in a mansion and you have cameras on you almost 24 7 except for when you go to bed so you know, incredible that Bravo actually captured that. All right, so they kick off uh, the season two premiere with Jen showing off the Shah Chalet 2.0 because she was kicked out of the last one because she was renting. We all know now that her wealth was like part farce, part scam. Jen also says how she almost got a divorce, which definitely doesn't surprise me given how she behaved on the show last season. Like, who could live with that? I don't know how he's hung in that marriage for as long as he has. Uh, Unless there's something shady about him too, but I guess we'll find out. Uh, She's still pretty annoying. Like, she tries to put on this, like, a bit of a nice act. Like... We're getting a little bit of a new Jen Shah, a little bit more humble and funny and down to earth, but then they cut to her in confessionals and she's still rattling off some cringy rehearsed quips and being extra. And it's like, okay, I'm not buying the personality makeover after knowing that you scammed old people and you were the mastermind of the whole thing. She has this line in the confessional. It was honestly so bad. She was like, um, my auntie's wearing expensive perfume, not expensive, expensive, like, 
Okay, you thought of that. Did you think that was going to be a meme or something? Spensive? You sound like you just have, like, a lisp. Like, go to a speech therapist. Uh, Meredith also has a new house, by the way, because her last... uh, The home she had last season was a rental. I don't think she even lived in Utah. I think they went and rented a house to be on the show. Last season was very fake, like, even by housewife standards, I think, but we're going to get more of the real deal because this season it's like, well, we know we're on a hit TV show, so the women that didn't, like, that weren't settled in Utah and Salt Lake City are probably going to, you know, settle down there more because they can film a TV show and now they actually know each other because they filmed a whole season together. I don't think they were a close-knit group or anything before, Um Whitney, she's the blonde one, uh, the young, cute one that has the older husband. Uh, She had a bikini scene on the episode, and she has the most insane stripper tattoo ever. Like, it's, I don't know if she showed it last season. Maybe I missed it because I didn't really like last season. But it's all over the side of her torso, and she sort of has these big fake boobs, and she looks like a contestant from Rock of Love, which is funny because when she's, like, covered up. She looks really classy and cute. And then when I saw her in the bikini with the tats and everything, I'm like, oh, this is a whole different person than what I was seeing. Uh, she has a skincare line she's promoting. I am very skeptical about skincare products now. Between all of the celebrity lines and then the targeted ads that I get on Instagram, I'm like, this is all just marketing and gimmicks. And all we really need to do for our skin is like eat very clean, drink lots of water, stay out of the sun, wear sunscreen, you know, have a good moisturizer. I don't know if we even need to do I mean, obviously wash your face, but you know what I mean? I think we're getting sold a lot of bullshit with the the whole skincare industrial complex. Uh Whitney also had a scene where she drops a cake on the ground. I don't know if she dropped it on purpose for TV or not. I don't care. Uh cult leader Mary is back. She's got a podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the 10,000th Housewives podcast. Uh, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't think she needs a podcast. I don't think she should be running a church. I don't think she's mentally fit to be on reality television. But she is also the most entertaining person on the show. So it's kind of like a difficult path to navigate. She's a really uh, intriguing person. At one point, she goes onto this rant on her podcast about how she feels like she doesn't belong in the world because, uh, I mean, she basically behaves like an alien. Uh, so she doesn't belong in the world. She feels like she was, like, too peculiar and she had no friends and no humans ever loved her like God did, and that's why she's, you know, so super Christian. Knowing her history now with how she was married off to her grandfather, I can only assume that she grew up in a very dysfunctional, possibly abusive environment, and that's why she is like she is. Uh, There's a new housewife, Jenny. She's Vietnamese. She escaped Vietnam on a boat. Then she was in a Thai refugee camp. Then the Christians brought her over to the States. She's funny. She's already a good pick, you can tell. And she's something seems odd about her, which I think is good for Salt Lake City because they are kind of a bizarre group of women. She has this, like, wisecracking daughter who has to be, like, nine or ten years old. And uh, in the first scene, the, the little girl is bragging about getting straight A's and she's like, that's why I'm Asian, not Bijan. I haven't heard that joke before, but I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, Heather and Jen are having some drama because Jen was calling Heather a racist and evil on Instagram. Then Mary brings up how Jen called her racist too. You know, Jen Shah, uh, she's definitely a true Bravo fan if she thinks everyone is racist. 
Uh, Meredith uh, then calls Jan homophobic because she said that uh, Jen called Brooks a privileged twink. I don't think that's homophobic. I think that's a fact. Uh, and Brooks is like 21, 22. He put himself into the mix on the show so he could promote his tracksuit line. So I don't really think Brooks is off limits. I mean, I get why as his mother, Meredith is not happy about it, but I'm also like, it's fair game, honey. Uh, but Brooks has grown on me. I think we were a little bit mean to Brooks last season. Now I look back, I'm like, you know what? Brooks is fine, you know, and his relationship with Meredith is cute. Uh, he's fine. Uh, anyway, I saw Heather on Watch What Happens Live and she is sticking by Jen now. Like, they're besties again. She, even with the charges, she's cool with Jen Shah. Uh, I don't know how you can stay friends with somebody who would publicly call you a racist, especially in this climate, knowing it can ruin your life. Like, I don't get Heather. I don't understand what her motivations are or her thought process. It's strange to me, especially because I felt like she really... I mean, Jen Shah was trying very hard last season to be a fan favourite, but Heather was also trying hard as well in her own, like, in a different kind of way. So then to align yourself with... Jen Shah this season, knowing how Jen Shah is like the worst person on Bravo, um, I don't get it. Lisa's besties with Jen Shah too, I don't get that either. I don't know how anyone would want to be around Jen Shah. Meredith and Mary are like the only two that truly will not put up with Jen's shit, so good for them. Lisa is a ridiculous person because she spends a whole scene trying to convince Meredith to fix her relationship with Jen Shah. Like, why do you care? Like, why do you even want to be friends with Jen Shah? I don't know if Lisa's being serious or if this is just about a storyline, but I don't like it. Uh, and the fact that all the criminal shit about Jen Shah came out after this just says it all and sums up her character. Yes, I know, innocent until proven guilty, but everything I've seen, it's like, okay, at best you were not illegal you're just i mean i think she was doing illegal stuff and i think she's going to jail but say best case scenario she didn't do anything illegal like you're just still this gross person that like targets old people and scams them mary and meredith were right about jen shah and anybody that's still in the shah squad at this point is delusional and don't compare it to erica jane don't do it it's completely different so yeah i'm team meredith uh i knew i would be and i interviewed her last week at work she was very cool and no i'm not fake standing her because i talked to her i'm for real i actually uh I turned down an interview with Garcelle at work because I didn't want to be, like, fake and chit-chat with her <laughs> after dragging her on the podcast for, like, two months. So, yeah, just keep it real over here. Um, yeah, but that story about Meredith and everything, that's on my Patreon. So, if you want to support me in the show, please sign up at patreon.com slash unpopularjp. The link is also in the show notes because nobody else with a Bravo pod is going to say what I'm saying on here. And yeah, all right, let's um let's get on to the next Housewives show. Okay, the Housewives of Beverly Hills, we finally saw part two of the second dinner party from hell. I can't believe they didn't just put that all in one episode. The fact they stretched this out over two episodes when part two was like, I don't know, five minutes more of footage or something, maybe ten minutes. Uh, and then they end everything on these, like, to-be-continued cliffhangers. They must be desperate for ratings or something. So, Erica, snarling like a rabid dog, threatened to sue Sutton. Then half the table called her out because we know that legal threats are a no-go on Beverly Hills ever since Adrian Maloof and Brandy Glanville in season three. Remember the whole surrogate drama? 
Then Sutton cried and had a meltdown, which I think anyone would after being eviscerated by Erica Jane because she's scary as fuck, but it was still funny. Like, I was cracking up when Sutton was crying, even though I like her and I totally understand. Uh, Then Garcelle yelled at Kyle because she felt like Kyle pushed Sutton to open up and confront Erica, so it was all going down. I'm still team nobody. Honestly, I like them all. Like, Sutton was right to question Erica and confront her because obviously there's some major shit going down you know, with the orphans and widows, and Erica's right to defend herself. I mean, she's been called a liar, or it's implied that she's in cahoots with Tom, and on camera, then I don't think it's an unnatural reaction. And of course, if she's guilty, she's totally evil, she's psychotic, but what do you expect her to do? Because we don't know. Um... So, just enough with the teams. There's no teams, there's no teams, okay? Pretty much everybody on that show is reacting as you would expect them to react, given their different relationships with Erica. People on social media, like, I think they're reading too much into it. Like, I just see a group of people that are sort of doing the best they can with the information they have at the time. Um, And yes, they're going to take different positions, because some of them are friends with Erica, some of them are not. Garcelle and Sutton don't even know Erica. Crystal doesn't know Erica, you know, like, well, barely. They've they've filmed with her for one season, which is like a new work colleague. So, uh, and yes, Erica's a bully. People won't shut up about this on Twitter. Like, Dorit called Garcelle a bully because she's black, but not Erica. They're both bullies, just in different ways. Erica defends herself in a bullying manner, and Garcelle picks on people like a high school mean girl. So, it's just different approaches to bullying. Um... Oh, people are mad at Kyle for pushing Sutton to speak up. Guys, shut the fuck up with this. She's not some gaslighting master manipulator. She's a veteran of the show. She understands that if you say something on camera behind somebody's back, you do need to bring it up to their face and keep the same energy. Tamara was the same on OC. Yes, they're kind of producing the show, but that's like their job as the queen bee of their city. It's only a problem when you're Lisa Vanderpump or Phaedra Parks and you're like scheming and plotting way off camera. Like Kyle's doing it on camera in front of us so we can all see it. And she's just making sure everyone's accountable and gives a good show. People keep comparing Kyle to Lisa Vanderpump. Like, do you not get it? Like Kyle's doing it in the moment. She's not calling John Blizzard to call Teddy and then whispering in someone's ear to bring the tabloids and then lying about it when confronted. Completely different. And the show would be so boring without Kyle and Lisa. So just shut up with the anti-Kyle, anti-Rina stuff. Go and watch Vanderpump Rules and just leave the rest of us alone. Like, you don't even understand how the show works. And if you can't tell the difference between Kyle and Lisa Vanderpump, there's something wrong with you. So Kyle also called out Erica for threatening to sue Sutton, by the way. So she's actually, like, being pretty consistent. It was good. She called Erica on it. She's like, you can't threaten to sue her. So she's keeping the girls accountable. Um, People are just obsessed with bringing her down. And it's not healthy. And I say that as a former Kyle hater. Back in the day, years ago, I despised her. And then I saw the light and I was like, wow, I was so way off base when I was a Kyle hater. So get on my level, wake the fuck up and get on Team Kyle. Uh, People are angry at Crystal too because they feel like she, you know, co-signed Erica's behavior. Again, shut up. Crystal doesn't even know these women. She's like basically minding her own business the whole time. And no, she does not like Sutton because they got off on the wrong foot at the start of the season when Sutton was acting like a fucking alcoholic loony tune. So she's like, yeah, Erica, I would have reacted the same. Like, it's not that serious. Like people are overreacting to this as usual. I think Crystal's just like black and white. Like she's, (laughs) she's kind of an ice queen. It's like, 
very rational and logical, almost to the point that some people might think she lacks empathy. I just don't think she's an overly emotional person, whereas Sutton is obviously the opposite, so they make good TV together. You can like them both. I literally like Sutton. I like Erica. I like Crystal. There's no team. Uh, There's another scene later on, too, where Crystal basically says that Sutton and Erica are never going to make up or be friends, and everyone just needs to, like, drop it. Everyone on Twitter was mad about this, too. Like, that was a realistic take to have. That shows someone that's not thinking about the show, because if you're thinking about the show, you're like oh, let me fix this and, you know, I'll mediate and we're all working together on a show and we have to get along. Whereas in real life, you're just like, oh, they don't like each other. Move on. That's all she did. So I think people, yeah, I, I don't think they even get it. It's not that serious. Um, Everyone's fine. Even Garcelle and Dorit, like I, they're the two that I've had the biggest problem with this season for different reasons. Garcelle, because she's fake as fuck. Dorit, Dorit's fake too, but in a way where she just doesn't get involved, Um, whereas Garcelle gets involved in a fake manner. So both fakes, but they're um both doing a lot better now. Like, Dorit got into it with Erica a lot at the dinner party and finally spoke up and she has some good scenes with PK and everything. So I'm like, okay, finally, after, what, three years of Dorit standing on the sidelines, she's voicing her opinion again. I mean, maybe it's, you know, too late, too little too late at this point, but it was enjoyable. And Garcelle actually spoke up to some people's faces instead of just throwing shade in her confessionals. So, you know, both of them bossed up finally. Uh, who else is there? Oh my God. Lisa Rinna is fucking amazing. Okay. Because they have this scene where shady old Garcelle tries to pick another fake ass fight with Rinna. And she's like, Rinna, you know, you don't have my back as my friend. Like she's still doing this shit from the start of the season. And it's so stupid. Cause one, they're not even friends. Like they clearly don't like each other. So it's fake. Um, and Garcelle would never have Rinna's back. If Rinna was in some shit, do you think Garcelle's going to stand up and stick up for Rinna? Of course not. Why isn't? Why doesn't Garcelle have Rinna's back in the Denise thing? Why did you choose Denise's side? Uh, you know, you felt like Den- you felt like um, you wanted to take Denise's side because you looked at Twitter and you saw that's the way the wind was blowing. That's fine. And uh, Rinna felt like you were taking jabs at Dorit, so she took Dorit's side. So it's just it's such bullshit. But what's so great? about this is, like, Rinna clocks it immediately. She knows Garcelle's full of shit. She knows what Garcelle's trying to do to get a storyline out of her. So, she just diffuses it, and she's, like, responding to Garcelle in, like, so fake and condescending. Oh, gosh! Really? You really feel like that? Oh! Like, it's like she's on Days of Our Lives, Beyond Salem, which I just watched actually the other night. Um, It's like she's talking to a child, and she kind of is, because it's like... In this dynamic, Rina is, like, the high school senior and she knows, like, how the school works and everything. And Garcelle is, like, you know, first-year student at school and she, like, wants to kind of, like, play the game, but she doesn't really get it yet. And the older kids are running rings around her. And um, Rina finishes the conversation. She (laughs) brings up this, like, a fake grievance of her own. And she's doing this on purpose to, like, troll the audience and to troll Garcelle to her face. And she's like, you know... You didn't think you didn't thank uh, Harry Hamlin for the sauce that he made you. And Garcelle's like, I did thank him. And she's like, Oh, but you could have called and thanked. And she's like, So we both can do better as friends. And then she like shuts it down. And Garcelle's like just standing, like sitting there with her mouth open because she doesn't know what to say. Because like Rinna's just owned her. Like Garcelle thought she was going to come in and have another moment with Rinna, and Rinna just like put an end to it. And the thing with Garcelle is like. 
She's so calculated, but she's just not as good as LVP was at doing this. So she does try to rope Kyle and Lisa Rinna into stuff and they just kill her with kindness. They diffuse it on the spot and they just will not give her that storyline that she wants. Like they play dead. It's, you know what I mean? Like they roll over and uh, it just doesn't work. Like Kyle did it at the start with the racism thing. Like if someone else tried something like that with Kyle, she would not have rolled over so quickly, but because she saw where it was going to go and what Garcelle was doing, she was just like very subservient and apologetic. And then she just like nipped that in the bud. And now you see her scenes with Garcelle a lot of the time. She's like, she spent a lot of the season being overly nice to Garcelle. Until this episode, the tensions are coming back up, but that's more because uh, Garcelle's poking and prodding. Um, and it's just funny to see the veterans in action and then the sort of clumsier newbies who don't know how to do it, like, don't know how to do it properly. Um, there's another scene later on where Garcelle has the women over to her house for a Haitian dinner and the Haitian food, by the way, look, I'm sure there's like amazing Haitian food, but whatever the fuck Garcelle served, it all looked like very deep fried and very fattening. And you know that these Beverly Hills women would never eat it, especially Lisa Rinna, who has food issues and doesn't eat. But Rinna's like, I'm going to eat it because Garcelle made it. And she's like choking it down at the table. And you know that if Rinna did not eat that food, Garcelle would have pulled her aside next episode and said, Rinna, really hurt my feelings. Don't you know that that food was f- part of my culture and you disrespected it? And then it would have that would have been like a racist thing. And Rinna knows that. So Rinna, even with her eating disorder and fucking anorexia, ate whatever this deep fried stuff at the table was and pretended to enjoy it because she won't take the bait. So that was fucking funny. Um, What else? Oh, Garcelle takes keep, Garcelle keeps taking digs at Dorit all episode, of course. Um, very similar to LVP. Oh, darling, it's British humour. Don't you get it? Jab, jab, jab. Oh, it's don't you get British humour? Like she's literally doing. It's just the whole LVP playbook. Like just watch Garcelle and then think about what I said about her being LVP. And imagine that's LVP and you'll go, oh, that it's the same thing. Um, oh, and then she brings up the charity thing about Kyle, even though they've already buried that. She brings it up again. And um, remember who else held a grudge? Who was it? Oh, yeah, Lisa Vanderpump. Uh, so it's the same old shit. And oh, one last thing, okay. There's a scene with Dorit and PK. PK is saying that Erica shouldn't have been posting uh, on social media and, you know, posing in lingerie and spreading her legs on Instagram and, you know, giving zero fucks and all of that. And he says that it's, you know, very bad PR. Grant uh, actually said the same thing when he was on the pod last week. Well, first of all, everyone shut the fuck up. Well, not Grant, but PK, shut the fuck up because we all know that you and Dorit have dodgy finances. You've both been sued. And when you were getting sued, Dorit was still running around in Chanel and fucking tacky, you know, Balenciaga headbands and sweaters and stuff. So stop, like, don't act like you don't do the same thing. Secondly, if Erica shaved her head on Instagram in apology, like the Japanese apologies, she's like, bows down, shaves her head. I'm so sorry for the victim. I'm so heartbroken. I'll do anything. You would all still hate her. You'd be like, she's only apologizing because she got caught. It's so fake. She's doing it to, so she won't go to jail. If, if she wasn't guilty, why is she apologizing? So this proves it. Like anything she does, you will hate on her for. Your logic will twist it to that means she's guilty. That means she doesn't care about the victims. It doesn't matter what she does. So just stop 
pretending that you're so offended by her Instagram account that you would have supported her if she had shown more remorse. No, you would not have supported her. And you know that you would not have supported her. You enjoy her downfall and that's fine. Just admit you like seeing her downfall. I liked Lisa Vanderpump's downfall. I liked that Lisa Vanderpump was humiliated, that she fled the show in shame, that she didn't show up to the reunion. Then they played the clip of uh, her chastising Adrian. It made her look like a hypocrite. I enjoyed every minute of it. So just enjoy Erica's downfall and just stop pretending that if she had done something different, you would have liked her because you wouldn't. You hate her and you're a hater. Um, Oh, my God. And everyone's acting shocked, right, because Erica had put this caption up. She was in lingerie. PK brought this up, and I think that Kyle brings it up or something. And she wrote, uh, got buffoons eating my pussy while I watch cartoons. That's a line from Lil' Kim's Queen Bitch. That's like one of the sickest female freestyle raps fucking of the 90s of all time. I still listen to it all the time. I fucking love it. Erica used it in a sponsored post for Rihanna's Fenty Lingerie. Lil' Kim lyrics match the vibe of the Fenty Lingerie that Erica was promoting. You don't know anything about music. You don't get it. You don't get the vibe she was doing. So stop again. Stop pretending you're outraged by her Instagram caption. It's a fucking Lil' Kim song. Move on. So, a few new uh, trailers have dropped. We have the Real Housewives of Melbourne trailer. I have nothing to say about that. It had nice editing, but most of the shots were like high heels clicking on the pavement and people putting on lipstick. You couldn't tell what any storylines or anything were. So, whatever, but it looks good and they it was well edited. So, I mean, we already know the season will be good. I don't need to get that excited over the trailer. We all heard the Janet Roach interview on my podcast. Clearly, it's going to be a good season. Also, what dropped is the Winterhouse trailer. Um, that's the Summerhouse spinoff with Craig and Austin from Southern Charm and a few new people, I guess. The new people, I feel like they're probably like trying out for Summer House and Southern Charm, and then the ones that do well on Winter House will maybe get upgraded on on Summer House. Uh, so I'm not going to do a fucking three hour frame by frame breakdown of the trailer. Okay, it looks fun. It looks like Summer House, but it's snowing. So I mean, what do you expect? It's good. Uh, the main drama seems to be around Austin because he has like a thing going with Sierra and Lindsay from Summer House and then his ex-girlfriend Madison, she's the one that broke up J-Lo and A-Rod. She's also texting him and saying she wants him back. That's probably fake for the show because they want to get uh, Madison involved in there somehow, but... Um, quite fun. And at one point, Paige is like, you know, how are three girls fighting over Austin Kroll? Um, how are they not? Austin Kroll is hot as fuck. He is one of the hottest guys on Bravo. I don't care what anyone says. Yes, he has a shitty personality. Yes, he's an alcoholic. I don't care. He is hot. I love a tall, lanky man. The taller and lankier, the better. He's also a reality TV pro, by the way. He is so good at reality TV and like the way that he's even completely centered himself in the winter house thing and just made it all about him judging by the trailer. He's great. So why wouldn't you want that? Get that clout. Like Austin's a hot thing in reality TV right now. And he's sexy. He's got his own beer. Um, He's definitely the star of Southern Charm. Like, he came in and, uh, like, dethroned Shep. Like, no one cares about Shep anymore. It's all about Austin and, and kind of Craig, too. So, love that. I would fuck the shit out of Austin. Um, there's also something going on with Kyle and Amanda. So, from the trailer, right, they make it look like Kyle's flirting with this other girl. She's one of the new people in the house. I think she's actually some bunny boiler who has, like, inserted herself into Kyle's relationship for airtime, and it's completely one-sided. So, that's my prediction with that. So, Winterhouse drops October 20. 
Um, and it'll probably be pretty good because Summer House is great and Southern Charm is great. So mixed together, I don't see how it won't be great. It'll probably actually be better than Vanderpump Rules, to be honest, because I still was just wasn't blown away by that Vanderpump Rules trailer. I really was not. Okay, uh, moving on, Joe Rogan came out. He confirmed that he took the human ivermectin prescribed by a doctor, like I told you last week, not the horse dewormer, uh, like the media reported with the fake news. I threw a tantrum about this on last episode, so I was very glad when he came out and clarified it, and I've been following this story and kind of obsessed with it because I'm obsessed with, like, media malfeasance, so this is, like, perfect for me. What makes this even more infuriating really is that while the media and you know the blue check twitter people and all of that were lying about joe rogan lying about the horse dewormer at the exact same time they were promoting this fake ass story about how hospitals in oklahoma were like overfilled with people who had been um overdosing on the animal version of ivermectin and the hospitals were like so full that gunshot victims were being turned away because the covid idiots had taken up all the resources this literally like never happened it was completely fake uh but rolling stone rachel maddow the guardian and so many others ran this story they shared it on social media they promoted it these are the same people and media outlets that say Joe Rogan is spreading misinformation and they're literally lying about him on top of running fake news. But of course, nobody's calling for them to issue apologies or to be deplatformed. Whereas, like, anytime Rogan fucks up, people want him dropped from Spotify and he's a danger to society and he's spreading misinformation. So it's like, okay, so. The podcaster that talks about like MMA and health and all these other topics, it's not a news show. He's the problematic one, but you guys who are like actually meant to be the news and you're like lying, you guys are fine and can say anything. Okay. I don't know how they fucking get away with it. It's crazy. And by the way, this story about the Oklahoma hospital thing, that really shows how the media works right now. Like, I work in the media. Like, Because newsrooms have no resources and no budgets to break original stories anymore, what they do is, like, they just copy each other. Like, they all repurpose each other's content. They look at what, you know, CNN looks at what Fox posted and Fox looks at what so-and-so posted and The Guardian looks at what The Daily Mail posted and Daily Mail looks at what whatever posted and then they just, like, churn out the stories and copy each other. So it's, like, very easy for fake news to get spread around. And then it's like, no wonder people are so fucking brainwashed right now when they're being fed all of this misleading crap all the time. So anyway, Rogan went on his podcast and he was like, do I have to sue CNN? You know, they're out here reporting that I'm taking fucking horse pace when I'm not. And look, he would never win the lawsuit, but I almost kind of think he should file some kind of legal action against not just CNN, like all the media outlets that lied about the horse dewormer thing. It was a lot of different places. It's easy to single out CNN, but it's like CNN was like the tip of the fucking iceberg. Um, And I almost think he should just file something as a publicity stunt. Kind of like when, do you guys remember when Tulsi Gabbard said she was suing Hillary Clinton for defamation? Obviously, that wasn't a real lawsuit, but- you know, it was to send a message and to kind of make a public statement. On the other hand, it may not even be worth it because the media are not going to cover that accurately anyway. And because it's like targeting them, they're just going to put some like spin on it that will probably make Rogan look even worse. So I don't know. They'll probably just use it as an excuse to run Joe Rogan and Horsty Weimer in the same headline again. So maybe he shouldn't. I just feel like, come on, there needs to be like some kind of accountability because so far there's none. There's zero accountability for these people, but then all this accountability put on Joe Rogan. And you know what? Even after Rogan debunked this right, like 
Even when he came out and he's like, guys, you all lied about what I was taking. Um, No one was like, oh, you know what? Maybe we did jump the gun too much. Maybe we let our like biases get in the way and, you know, we believe something that wasn't true. No one ate any like crow or fucking humble pie. Like they all just either pretended it didn't happen or they were like, well, ivermectin doesn't work on COVID. And it's like, it's not about whether ivermectin works on COVID or not. It's about you lying and being a hypocrite. Like, that's the point. Now you're just deflecting and trying to make it about the ivermectin debate, which is, like, completely separate. Like, yes, the data is out saying the general consensus and general data is that no, ivermectin doesn't work on COVID. Not about that. It's about you guys being fucking liars. So after this went down, Jimmy Kimmel, the biggest loser ever, he's back. He kicked off his new season with the whole stupid monologue about ivermectin and COVID, and it was so cringe. It was full of bad horse jokes. I'm telling you that this horse paste thing is not as big as they're making out. Like, I saw another skit from some, like, show on Peacock, and they were doing a rap about getting vaccinated and about, like, horses and stuff. And it's like, this is not as big as they're making out. Like, I literally just pointed out two big fake news horse stories. One, the Joe Rogan. Two, the hospitals being overwhelmed. Like, this is fake. And <laughs> they're making out, like, this is this huge epidemic of everyone having horse dewormer, which it absolutely is not. Yes, some people are doing it, but it's not to the level that, like, every fucking late night monologue should be about horse paste. And... You know, at best, they're doing this because it's a culture war win and it's an easy way to dunk on your opponents by pretending that they're all eating horse paste. And at worst, you know, it helps push these mandates because then it paints the picture that everyone that doesn't follow every single rule is out here guzzling horse paste. So I don't know how sinister the whole thing is, but it's cringy and unoriginal from a comedic perspective, regardless of any of the sort of underlining motivations. So Kimmel drops these bad horse jokes and he goes on a rant about Alex Jones, which is like, how fucking lazy and behind the times are you that you're still banging on about Alex Jones in 2021? Alex Jones was deplatformed in 2018. Okay. They banned him from Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, um, the Apple app store everywhere. You can't even, I don't even know where you find Uh, Alex Jones now. It's not on YouTube. I guess you've got to go to his official website and like subscribe or something to watch his videos. So Alex Jones became irrelevant years ago. Kimmel's still up here on stage in 2021 trying to make out like Alex Jones is so influential uh, because he, you know, promotes ivermectin and it's a huge threat to America. Please, like this is more fake news. You're not supposed to punch down in comedy, right? And that's what he's doing. He should have roasted Joe Rogan if he had any balls because Joe Rogan is kind of like a big deal and he's sort of the face of this ivermectin stuff now. At least the media has kind of made him the face of ivermectin. I don't think in reality that he actually is. I think he's talked about it a few times on his podcast and now it's been blown up. But like Kimmel needs to pick on somebody his own size and not literally because Joe Rogan's very short, but someone in a, as a similar level to him. But you know what? He doesn't have the balls to go after Joe Rogan because then Joe Rogan's fans are going to come after him. Joe Rogan might go after him. So it's much easier to dunk on Alex Jones, who was like, doesn't even, what, even barely has freedom of speech. He's not on any mainstream social media platform. And we we all know Alex Jones as the boogeyman from the Sandy Hook you know, he believes a hoax about Sandy Hook, or he did at some point. I don't know if he still believes it, whatever. Who He's irrelevant. Who cares? So that just shows what a fucking pussy Kimmel is. And he said a lot of stupid shit during his monologue and just cringy jokes. But really, the grossest thing that he said was when he said that doctors shouldn't treat the unvaccinated. 
So this is so callous. It's so stupid. Doctors take an oath to treat everybody. Doctors treat criminals. If a fucking rapist tries to rape an old lady in an alley and the old lady stabs him in the stomach and escapes, doctors still have to treat that rapist. Like, you treat criminals. You treat everybody. So where do we draw the line now of who we're not treating? So if we're not going to treat unvaccinated people, should we stop treating the obese because like people do things all the time that are not in the best interest of their health. Constantly people drink alcohol, people take drugs, people eat terrible food. And then that all puts like a burden on the healthcare system. So are we going to stop treating the obese because they're not responsible. They're eating shit food. They're putting a burden on the healthcare system. And of course, anyone with half a brain knows that, you know, obesity is linked to all of these other things. Um, you know, about how they grew up. There's economic factors. If you grow up in poverty, you're more likely to be obese. We also know that the majority of people dying from COVID are fat, old, or have underlining health conditions. So it's like, okay, is Jimmy Kimmel cool with fat people dying from COVID because they ate McDonald's instead of a kale salad? Like, where is the line with this thing of like who we're going to treat and who we're not going to treat? And I saw some stats the other day regarding vaccinations and the most vaccinated Americans are the people with the highest income. So the more money you have, the more likely you are to be vaccinated. Obviously, on the other end of the scale, the poorer you are, the more likely you're to be unvaccinated. We also know that there's largely a black and brown uh, segment of unvaccinated people who haven't historically been treated well by the healthcare system. Uh, they many of them don't even have any access to healthcare, so they not even they're not even used to having a relationship with a doctor or anything. So there's all these other factors. Those are a big chunk of unvaccinated people. So does Jimmy Kimmel want them if they get COVID? Uh, while they're working, what, they're working for fucking Uber Eats or something, trying to make ends meet, they get COVID, uh, Kimmel doesn't want them treated, what, Kimmel wants them to die. What they need to do moving forward is every one of these rich, white, liberal fuckwits like Jimmy Kimmel that says don't treat unvaccinated people, we should get them in front of a fat, poor, black, unvaccinated person, get a multimillionaire like Jimmy Kimmel to personally go to the hospital, stand in front of the hospital bed where this fat, black, poor, unvaccinated person is on a fucking ventilator and tell them to their face, you know what? You shouldn't actually be treated. We're going to pull the ventilator off. We're going to, you're going home. We're sending you home. You are not to be treated because you know what? You just didn't follow the rules. You you didn't follow the rules. You didn't get the vax like we said, so you can die. So please get the white liberals to do this and see if they can really back up their statement or if they're just saying it because they feel like in a monologue, it's an easy way to, you know, dunk on who they perceive to just be a bunch of like white Trump supporters. And you know why else he's such a fucking scumbag, right? A few years ago when Trump was president, Kimmel's newborn, I think it was his son or his daughter, his newborn fucking baby had like a heart murmur or something and needed open heart surgery. Kimmel went on his show, he was crying about his kid, you know, he begged Trump not to cut healthcare funding and he went on this whole like, you know, monologue about how health insurance isn't affordable to the average American. And it was the right thing to do. Like, I agreed with him on that. I'm like, yes, you know, I believe in universal healthcare for everyone. I think everyone should be treated. But it's like, Kimmel went from demanding more healthcare to people when it personally affected him directly and his family, his child, to now trying to deny people healthcare because he's so caught up in wanting to shit on anti-vaxxers because he thinks they're all poor white trash, even though we know that's not true. Like, he's so fucking disgusting and vile. And it's sad because 
you know, he used to be, like, ugly, and then when he grew a beard, he got really hot. But it was, like, the hotter he got, the more of a fucking asshole he turned into. Like, the dumber he got. Anyway, fuck him. Um, I hope he gets denied healthcare at some point for doing cocaine. I'm sure he's done coke, right? He's in Hollywood. He's a celebrity. He's been around for a while. He must have done his fair share of, like, lines at parties. I'm sure he eats bad food, too. So, sorry, Jimmy, because, you know what? The government actually issued uh, the food pyramid, if you've seen it and your diet is deficient in legumes and if you had just followed the rules that we laid out and lived a healthier lifestyle and you know you didn't do cocaine it is illegal for a reason um you would be much healthier so if only you had done what we told you to do so i guess you have to die now bye Okay, so a big story that's going on right now in Australia is uh, one of our former Bachelorettes, Georgia Love, she is a news reporter slash the season two Bachelorette. Her season was very boring. I don't like her, but she was just cancelled for posting a racist joke on Instagram. So what happened is she posted a photo of a cat in the window of a, I guess it was a Chinese restaurant or some kind of Asian restaurant, and she captioned it, shop attendant or lunch, question mark. Uh, I guess in reference to the stereotype stereotype that Asians eat cats and dogs. So immediately she got called out by this Instagram account called Aussie Influencer Opinions. Uh, That is this popular IG here that just kind of tries to catch influencers like not wearing a mask or, uh, you know, messing up doing something naughty on social media. And then the account will like screenshot it and shame them and like try to sort of get them cancelled. And it's very popular. So they highlighted her post and she deleted her post straight away. And then she sent this account a private message to apologize. And she was like, you know, I'm really sorry. I wasn't actually making a racist joke. I just thought it was funny that, you know, the cat was in the window during lunchtime, but now I see the connotation and, uh, you know, I didn't mean to offend anybody. Thank you for holding me accountable. So she did, she sends them this like groveling clarification. And then Aussie Influencer Opinions, they posted her apology on their IG stories and they basically called it bullshit. And they were like, well, of course she knew that it was a racist joke and, you know, they weren't happy with the apology. Um, and you know, guys know that you can't actually apologize to these people because they don't really want an apology. They just want to kind of exert power over you. So once you apologize to them, that just like gives them more fuel. But I understand why she apologized because, you know, if I posted something like that that had like a racist connotation, I didn't really realize how offensive it was or something. I would feel, you know, pretty embarrassed and be like, I'm really sorry. You know, I had that once. I've told you this story before, but when people found old tweets of me uh, calling Little Mix fat, and I felt, I honestly felt so bad over it. I didn't even remember writing the tweets and... And then I had Little Mix fans, like, dragging me and saying what a shitty person I am. And I'm like, you know what? I own it. I was. I was horrible. I can't believe I said that. And I was very sorry. So, I know the feeling. So, then Georgia apologized uh, publicly on her own Instagram story. So, at that point, she's apologized twice. She's apologized privately and she's apologized publicly. And very quickly, too. This was all, I don't know, within either hours of this going down or within one day, but it was all in a short amount of time, and she's trying to nip it in the bud before it gets out of control. Then Aussie Influencer Opinions found a similar joke she made about um, Asians eating animals or whatever from back in 2013. So what, that's eight years ago, if my math is correct? And then they posted it like, see, she is racist, she hasn't changed, she knows what she's doing. 
So within a day or two of this happening, it spirals to the point of Georgia being dropped from a major brand deal. She was like the face of a or an ambassador for a, a shopping center here in Australia. She gets dropped from that. And then Channel 7, which is the network that she works for as a news reporter, they issued a statement saying that Georgia had been pulled off camera. She's been moved to a behind the scenes production role, you know, away from everyone. She's been shunned to the basement, basically, and that she had issued an apology, a personal apology to all of her co-workers. I'm not sure why she's apologizing to them since it has nothing to do with them, but she emailed them all an apology. So, okay, that's three apologies she's given in total. She's lost a brand deal. She's been demoted at work. It's still going on as I record this. So, you know, who knows if she's going to get completely fired. I guess it'll depend on whether or not this dies down or not. I know that the um, the Aussie influencer opinions and, and the other account- influencer an- accountability accounts will uh, be wanting to drag this one out. So, we'll see. Um, look, I don't like Georgia Love. I'm not a fan of hers at all for very for various reasons over the years. I do not like her. And I do think that was a racist joke as well. Now, it's not the most racist thing you could say. Like, on a fucking scale of, like, 1 to 10, it's kind of lower down the bottom. She didn't call someone a racial slur or anything, but it is an offensive stereotype. I know a lot of Asians hate that. Like, actually, in Asia, they don't like that perception that people from the outside will make that joke. They don't like that uh, white Westerners make that joke. Uh... And it's kind of similar to some of the stereotypes about other races and foods they might like. Like, you just know that it's a no-go zone, okay? So, you don't do it. But do I think Georgia knew it was offensive? No, because she wouldn't have posted it if she understood it. Like, there's a lot of people in Australia that are pretty backwards with this stuff, and they still don't fully understand sometimes what jokes are offensive and what are not. Um And she's a very, Georgia Love's very, like, bland and professional, and she's not Dave Chappelle out here trying to, like, push the envelope in comedy. So, if she thinks that lame joke, which, yes, it is a lame joke, if she posts that, she thinks it's funny, she finds out it's racist, she takes it down straight away, she apologizes three times, you know, publicly, privately, to her colleagues, she does it all very promptly. So, I would say that's a good way to handle it. Whoops, I said something racist, didn't realize... Really sorry. And yeah, but the fallout's still continuing. And again, they say they want you to be accountable. Then you are accountable. And then they're still mad because they don't want you to be accountable. They just want to shit on you. Like, that's all they want. Like, they just fucking Karens that want to have, like, power over you. It's like when I apologized to Outspoken, when I shaded them. If you listen to my Red One episode, I gave an update about that whole situation with Outspoken. So, I apologized first privately to Outspoken because I said, look, I went way too far with what I said. It was mean. Uh, you know, I didn't, you know, mean this, whatever. And I still stood my ground in terms of the point that I was making against them because I didn't like how they covered one of their stories. But I apologize for some of the bitchy comments because they are nice girls, they work hard, etc., etc. So we squashed that between us. It was fine. I went in their Facebook group and all of their fans were like dragging me and kind of attacking me. Uh, you know, I'm I'm such a loser. I'm a hater. I'm a this, I'm a that. And I commented on the thread and I was like, oh, just so you know, guys, uh, I clarified something because they said that I was, they thought I was making fun of Outspoken in this, some post that I made, which I wasn't. So I clarified that I wasn't. I'm like, yeah, you know, I apologize to Outspoken. And all of the fans were like, you're not sorry. And then they're like mocking me and attacking me. But I was genuinely sorry and felt bad. But again, it's like, 
they don't want you to say sorry. Like, they don't want you to be accountable. They don't believe if you're accountable. They think you're only apologizing because you got caught. So, it just doesn't work. And I'm never apologizing for anything ever. I've said that a bunch of times. I'll apologize to the person directly. I'm never going to fucking apologize to just, like, random fucking losers on the internet. And I have to give Outspoken a shout out, too, because... Watching this Georgia Love thing go down, right, and it being driven by this Aussie influencer opinions account, I'm like, at least outspoken, they use their names on their podcast, their fucking faces on the cover of the podcast, they're open about who they are, they do have a journalistic background, so they try to come at things from that angle more often, but then it's like you have Aussie influencer opinions and there's another account similar to them and it's called Celeb Spellcheck and it's really popular here in Australia. Nobody knows who the fuck they are. They have secret identities. They hide behind these accounts. We have no idea who they are. They don't use their real name. They don't use their fucking photo, but then every day they just try to get random influencers cancelled and... Like in Georgia Love's case, you go as far back as 2013 to dig up this old post of hers and then they try to justify it right and they go, well, these influencers, they need to be held accountable because they have large platforms and they're uh, influencing people and, you know, we need to hold them to a certain standard. But it's like, well... Aussie influencer opinions and celeb spell check, at this point, they have big enough followings that they could be considered influencers in their own right. So, if you're going to make it your job to call out people, then you actually need to show your name and face so we can hold you accountable too, because maybe you're a total fucking hypocrite. Like, maybe you're like the people that came after Joe Rogan or something and were spreading fake news while you were accusing him of spreading fake news. So, we need to know what you're about and what you're saying. So... Please, like, step out of the shadows. And, you know, these accounts, like, they can be fun, right, making fun of influencers. Like, I remember Celeb Spellcheck for a while. They would point out spelling mistakes influencers would make. That's fine. That's kind of light, light-hearted. And one of my favorite things that they did was when they would catch influencers promoting products that they obviously weren't using. Like, you would have some Instagram model going, oh, you know, I love this fake, this, this face cream. And they'll be pretending to put it on. You see that the jar hasn't even been opened or anything. Like, that stuff's funny. But when you're actions are getting to a point where you're affecting someone's income, their livelihood, their career, their life. Like Georgia Love dropped from this shopping center thing, demoted at work, could possibly be fired. When you're taking it to that level, you need to put a fucking face to who you are and like be public about it and not hide behind a secret account. So shout out to Outspoken for being uh, public and professional. Okay, last thing to talk about today is Bachelor in Paradise because this season is, like, off the hook. Um, Best reality show on TV right now with Beverly Hills, for sure. So, there is this couple on the show, Brendan and Natasha. This is the main drama going down, although there's a lot of- there's, like, ten different storylines going on right now, but- This is the juiciest thing at the moment. So, Brendan and Natasha. Brendan was one of the hottest guys from Claire and Tasia's season. Like, he's he's so fucking hot. And Natasha was from Pilot Pete's season. And ABC have been trying to promote Natasha for a while. Like, they added her to their Clickbait Nation podcast with Grocery Store Joe and Tasia after Hannah Ann left the pod under mysterious circumstances. So, Natasha's getting quite the push from ABC right now. 
So they're a couple on Paradise, and they really don't have any chemistry, and it kind of just feels like they're friends, and they're staying together to stick around on the show. Natasha definitely seems more keen on Brendan, and she's a bit like, you know, why isn't he, you know, more into me? What's going on? But, so she's trying, and I don't know, there's not that much happening. He's kind of blasé about it all. And then this rumor starts up around the start of the season that Brendan is dating this other girl, this other Bachelor reject named Piper, uh, and that they started dating in the outside world and that he is just hanging around in paradise, you know, flirting it up with Natasha and some other girls waiting for Piper to come in so they can be together on TV. He gets confronted about it pretty early on. I think in like episode two or something, Demi confronts him and then it dies down for a few episodes until Piper suddenly crashes the show. Now, as soon as she comes in, Brendan, of course, dumps Natasha on the spot and runs straight to Piper. On top of that, the producers completely break the fourth wall and they get Brendan and Piper on hot mic talking about how they scammed the show, how many Instagram followers they have, how many Instagram followers they're going to get, um, you know, their follow accounts going up, all the press they're going to get in Us Weekly, how people are going to perceive them in the outside world. They're laughing about being villains. They get fully exposed as, like, clout chasers. And if you don't watch Paradise and don't get how the show works, like, Basically, you're meant to be single. Obviously, it's people that have been on Bachelor and Bachelorette that, you know, didn't make it to the end of the show. They're single. They get picked to come into Paradise and find love. And then if you don't find a relationship in Paradise, you get kicked off. So, Piper and Brendan have met in the outside world because all the Bachelor people hang out together. They started dating or something started happening, but then they pretended to be single because what they want to do is let's both get on Paradise, let's start our relationship on camera on the show, have it play out. We're going to get to the end of the show and we're going to walk away with like half a million followers each. Because if you get to the end of Paradise, like you can be a total flop, like you could be on the bachelor for like one episode and like no airtime but then if you get on paradise and you get to the end of paradise you're walking away with half a mil minimum followers and it's like probably the best place to get followers out of all the different bachelor shows so the producers fully expose their plan and then they also play these scenes of like Brendan just trashing Natasha to Piper and talking about like, oh, she didn't have any prospects on the show anyway. Um, you know, if it wasn't for me, she wouldn't even be here. So why is she mad? And Natasha's very likable. She's beautiful. She's intelligent. She's 33. So she's sort of more mature than some of the other girls on the show. And she's had a lot of airtime this season and all of it positive. So people are really outraged when they see, hey, Brendan strung her along, dumped her. He's talking shit behind her back. He's totally evil. He's a player. He's a liar. Natasha confronts both Brendan and Piper and just like drags them. And she gets this very kind of cool girl power moment on the show. And they do really lay it on thick because it's, you know, oh, she was tossed aside. She's heartbroken. And now she's like bounced back and she's telling them both to get fucked. And isn't Natasha amazing? And while all of this is going down, Piper and Brendan are on Instagram, like, playing into it and kind of owning the villain role, which doesn't happen that much because Bachelor people are very image conscious and they don't really like to be seen negatively. So when I saw them, like, owning it, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool that they're actually really embracing this villain thing. But then it backfires because Brendan starts hemorrhaging followers, like... 
just bleeding followers and he eventually loses like 100,000, which is really big like when you only have a few hundred to begin with. So I think he went from 350k because he was a bit of a fan fave on Clarentasia's season and then he goes down to like 250. Meanwhile, Natasha gains about like 250k, if not more, from the previous episodes and leading up to this one. She's got over like... She's probably picked up like 350 all up from the season. And now she's on like 430,000 in total. And that's going to go even higher because she's still got a few. I don't know how far she gets in the season, but she's still got at least like one or two more episodes left at minimum. So she's going to get even more followers. And then Brendan caved in, apologized on Instagram, which I thought was a pussy move because he kind of came off better just owning, hey, we're a villain. Because it's like, look... Everyone on this show is there for clout. If anything, he was almost sort like he was a jerk, but at the same time, he was like being the most real about it because it is like, yeah, we do want press. Yes, we do care about how many followers we have. Yes, we do, you know, scheme and plan relationships on the outside world, which all of these fucking bachelor people do. It's just that like Brendan happened to get caught and exposed by the producers for it while other people don't, or other people like the producers probably know, like they probably catch the conversations between contestants all the time talking about their follow account and oh, I'm going to go after so-and-so and that'll, you know, this person's more popular, so I'll go after them and I'll get more popularity. But it's just that because that's not part of the storyline, the producers don't, like, air that. Um, and because Bachelor fans are so crazy and intense, they are, like, burning Brendan at the stake. Like, it's fucking savage. The backlash is extreme while Natasha is, you know, this like they're treating her like she's a victim of abuse or something. and. I'm just like, guys, are you really that dumb? Like, Natasha's my girl. I love her. But she knew Brendan was not into her, okay? She was hanging around with him trying to make this fake relationship work because she wanted to stay on the show longer. She played into this storyline. She's probably in cahoots with producers because ABC are, like, giving her this huge push because she's part of the the Bachelor podcast, Clickbait Nation. So they wanted to give her a profile because she really, even though she's, like, amazing, she just didn't have many followers. I don't know if it's because she's not white because, honestly, a lot of the non-white Bachelor people, like, people talk about Bachelor fans being racist. Um... I don't think Bachelor fans are racist, but I definitely think that there's a lot of, like, white people that watch the show and a lot of the minority contestants do not get the same amount of, like, Instagram clout and stuff as, like, the typical... Like, the typical person that gets a lot of followers from The Bachelor, it is still the more traditional, like, oh, the nice Christian, like, Midwestern kind of stereotype, like a pilot Pete or someone like that, or Hannah Brown, you know, the the Alabama beauty queen. So those are the types of people that do that well. So Natasha is not that. She's 33. She's black. She's very intelligent. She is, um, you know, she's not some bimbo. So They've really, like, given her this huge push on the show now, and it's worked and it's paid off, and I think she was totally in on it. And, you know, Brendan has gotten caught for doing something that I think a lot of people do. And Natasha, by the way, is milking the shit out of this on her Instagram. It's pretty funny, but, I mean, I'm happy for her because I love her. So I'm like, finally, people are recognising Natasha, but I'm just not falling into the narrative because I know there's, like, more going on. Um it's just funny to see how seriously the other Bachelor fans take it too. And, you know, it's good TV, though, and Brendan's a fucking asshole. Um, anyway, we're waiting for Brendan and Piper to get kicked off the show or something because we know that, like, they're going to get their comeuppance. But 
for some reason, they've skated by because another couple were booted for doing the exact same thing. So this really hot guy, Chris, came into Paradise. To me, he's the hottest guy on the show. He's half Asian. He looks like a male model. He's beautiful. Some people think he's gay. I He gives off a little bit of that vibe, but, I mean, I'm gay, so, I mean, him having a gay vibe just sort of makes him more attractive to me. But I don't think he's gay, by the way, because he was – actually, he was pulling a lot of chicks on the show. Like, some of the hottest girls were into him. Uh, And he gets with this girl, Jacenica, and it's literally the same storyline as Brendan's situation. This girl from the outside comes in named Alana. I didn't know who she was. I think she was, like, a one-episode wonder. Chris dumps Jacenica for Alana on the spot, starts making out with Alana in front of Jacenica. They run off together. The producers show footage of them that makes them look like they, you know, had a relationship on the outside, that they plotted this, that they only care about TV. Um, you know, they play sort of behind the scenes stuff that usually wouldn't make the cut, so they break the fourth wall again. And then everyone on the show confronts Chris. It's a straight, it's a gang up. It's like bullying, basically. And they all tell him to get fucked and to just go home. And he looks broken. Like, I felt bad for him. A lot of people were celebrating his exit. Uh, I felt really bad for him. He looked on the verge of tears. Uh, It did look like bullying. And he said later on, he apologized on Instagram or something. And he said he felt like the kid at school that was like not cool and getting picked on. And it really looked like that. Um, I think they were set up, you know. The thing is about Bachelor producers, and I've learned this from watching the show for so long now, is that they are the the best producers in reality TV. Like, there isn't anyone better. Like, they're better than the Bravo producers, I'm telling you, if you don't watch Bachelor. They are better than Bravo producers. And every season, they know how to, like, deliver something, like, new and shocking that you've never, ever seen before. So, I just think that Chris and Alana were victims in this, you know, this stunt from the producers. They're, like, the sacrificial lambs. And I've actually talked to Chris a little bit in the DMs. He hasn't given me, like, details about stuff that went down, but I did try to get him on the pod, but, you know, ABC won't let him do podcasts because they control everything the contestants say because they don't want the contestants coming out and go, actually, this is what happened that you didn't see uh, behind the scenes. It's like Unreal. You've all watched Unreal. Like, that was obviously dramatized and exaggerated, but there is so much manipulation and editing and stuff that goes on in this show. So they keep the contestants quiet. The one person that ever broke their contract and spoke up was Luke P. He was a villain from Hannah Brown's season and he went on Reality Steve's podcast. He exposed The Bachelor and behind the scenes and now he's facing a huge lawsuit. So we're probably never going to know the real truth, but you got to watch this season of Paradise. It's like jaw dropping every episode, like someone's having sex, like someone will lead someone on, then they have sex with someone else in front of them, and then they backstab this person. It's like on another level. My housemate, who doesn't even care about The Bachelor, is watching it with me and like shouting at the TV every episode because it's just so outrageous. It's better than Love Island, it's better than Temptation Island since that last season of Temptation Island, which was actually really, really bad. So it surpassed Temptation Island. Uh, it's obviously better than Too Hot to Handle, which sucks. It's better than all of them. So tune in, guys. All right, that's it for this week, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, you can follow me on social media at UnpopularJP on Twitter and Instagram. You can support the show at patreon.com slash UnpopularJP. Everything you need should be in the show notes. And I will see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.